Hello, everyone, and welcome to United We Stand. I'm your host, Jim Feeney, and this show airs every week with hopefully insightful commentary about the world around us and how we build a stronger, more sustainable America. You can also find my podcast at www.jimfeeney.com and subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, and Buzzsprout. In April of this year, I wrote a blog post entitled Coronapocalypse. Back then, I suspected that the coronavirus pandemic was a bit overblown, reasoning that the politicians, scientists, and the media didn't have enough data and were being super cautious with policy. Six months later, the data indicate that the pandemic is definitely overblown, but the reasons for the hype have kind of changed, at least for me. For months now, certain health authorities, the political class, and their media handmaidens have relentlessly promoted a fearful narrative about the COVID-19 pandemic, as if the daily count of new cases were a major public health emergency. Small businesses have been steadily diminishing in the U.S. economy for years, but COVID has thrown gasoline on this house on fire. According to the Census Bureau, in 1989, companies with less than 100 workers represented 40% of employees of all U.S. businesses. Newly released data shows that as of 2018, that number had fallen to 33%. The government lockdowns have forced thousands of small companies out of business, while larger companies have largely survived and in many cases even prospered. Public companies like Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, and Google have taken advantage of record stock market levels, fueled by Federal Reserve money printing, to raise hundreds of billions of dollars in new equity. Really, the Fed should just eliminate the middleman, aka the stock market, and just deposit the new money into the bank accounts of these companies. Meanwhile, small business is getting crushed, and their employees are forced onto the government dole in order to survive. The government COVID policy will cast a pall over the U.S. economy for years to come in the form of reduction in competition for larger firms and limiting workers' ability to secure higher pay and further eroding their share of the economy. The danger is that U.S. economic power will reside in fewer and fewer hands, thus reducing the innovation and entrepreneurship that have helped drive the country's success for two and a half centuries. At last week's presidential debate, the most important statement made by Mr. Biden was, you can't fix the economy until you fix the COVID crisis. So let's get this straight. Virus first, economy second. How does a diverse country with 330 million people have to put their lives on hold indefinitely until a Joe Biden-sanctioned scientist says the coronavirus is fixed? With Biden becoming increasingly likely to win the election next month, people should take seriously his calls for more lockdowns in coming months should the coronavirus be deemed to spread. Recently, Biden told ABC News, I would shut it down. I would listen to the scientists, a statement that begs several questions. Let's start with which scientists? Some are in favor of lockdowns, which will be at the top of Google's search engine and others are strongly opposed. They're much harder to find on Google. There's obviously a lot to dissect in Mr. Biden's words, so let's take a look at the data. According to the CDC, COVID has a mortality rate of about 0.003% for people 0 to 19 years, 0.02% for 20 to 49-year-olds, 
about a half a percent for my age group, 50 to 69-year-olds, and a higher 5.4% for those folks that are 70 years old or older. This translates to, if you are 69 years old or less, you're 99.5% sure of not dying from COVID if you contract it. For the 10% of the population who are at real risk, we can focus solutions on them rather than shut down the entire economy. And yet, all you hear in the mainstream media is the fearful proclamation of a rising infection rate and the number of cases, as if they were the daily Vietnam War casualties being reported by Walter Cronkite every day during that conflict. So how about this? Let's just assume that the current 7.8 million total infections in the United States is wrong by an order of magnitude, and it's really 77 million people infected because there are so many more asymptomatic people walking around infecting other people, most of whom will also be asymptomatic, we don't even know who they are. It's a drastic undercount. Once you're infected, you acquire the antibodies, which now protect you from the virus. Acquiring antibodies is like wearing a full body mask because you are immune. You can neither contract nor spread the disease. This natural process is called herd immunity and we should all want it badly. In fact, I think we should open up special clinics where you can actually contract COVID so that you can become immune. You'd be doing society a favor. And yet the mainstream media portrays herd immunity as a gruesome draconian method that should be avoided at all costs. Instead, we must wait for vaccines which artificially imitate this natural process by introducing a small, theoretically safe amount of the virus to trigger production of antibodies. Yes, we are on a record pace for creating a vaccine, but how long before it's really available for the entire population? And what happens if it's only 50% effective, as many vaccines are? The Center for Disease Control estimates that it could take another year or more for vaccines to become widely available. Can we wait another year to begin the process of returning back to some semblance of normal? What will be left of our economy and how much new government debt will be added by then? You'd think that this relentless cycle of lockdowns would prompt our government leaders to rethink their policies, but that isn't the case in the United States and around the world. Governments in Denmark, Belgium, New Zealand, and elsewhere are returning to lockdowns after an increase in new infections. Meanwhile, the Swedish infection rate is clearly falling, both in absolute terms and relative to other countries that have followed strict lockdown procedures. In fact, 22 of the 31 EU countries had higher infection rates than Sweden. If the mainstream experts were right, Sweden should be a catastrophe given how long they've carried on with their lives not wearing masks or quarantining. We see the mainstream media ignoring the Sweden story while continuing to promote the lockdown or else narrative. Just in this week's issue of New England Journal of Medicine published uh, an editorial called COVID-19 Implications for the Healthcare System, and it denounces as dangerously incompetent leadership in Washington on the pandemic, all but endorsing Joe Biden for president. In an effort to keep pace with the fashionable support of Black Lives Matter, the article goes on to say, disparities in access and health outcomes are entrenched features of the U.S. healthcare system. They reflect a history of racism and discrimination that permeates society generally. 
The editorial recites the government's well-known failures in managing coronavirus, such as the initial struggles to roll out testing and hand out enough protective equipment. Now, I don't disagree with that, but the authors go on to praise China's virus management, conveniently ignoring its early cover-up and manipulation of of the World Health Organization. Why are American elites so mesmerized with authoritarian control? This New England Journal of Medicine article then hit the U.S. for the late and inconsistent quarantines without considering the public health and economic costs of the lockdowns. And what are the solutions offered by this coterie of elites whose careers have rotated from academia, government, philanthropy, and the healthcare industry? Basically, it's the single-payer healthcare, or Medicare for all, where the federal government is in charge of everything. Now, there's some out-of-the-box thinking. This thinking may go down well in some circles, but then please don't complain if half of America suspects that science is increasingly politicized. The official COVID narrative is also sharply at odds with a growing community of voices from hundreds of doctors, virologists, and epidemiologists. To date, more than 3,700 medical and public health scientists have signed the Great Barrington Declaration, calling for a more balanced approach, which would allow, in their words, those who are at minimal risk of death to live their lives normally and build up immunity to the virus through natural infection, while better protecting those who are at higher risk. Once I learned about this consortium of scientists from prestigious institutions all around the world, I signed the declaration online, and I would urge you to do the same. Just Google Great Barrington Declaration. If we have learned anything in the past eight months, it should be that lockdowns have questionable benefits that are hard to prove. But we know they impose huge economic health and societal costs, which everyone can see for themselves. The notion that we can just close our businesses, churches, sports venues, and other offices, the unemployed being compensated with printed money until someone develops the magic vaccination, and not suffer huge consequences, is as whimsical as the idea that if California bans all fossil fuels, its wildfires will disappear. The financial and emotional stress that comes from lockdowns are harmful to both the physical and mental health of our people and the evidences all around us. So why are people promoting this false COVID narrative? The incoherence of the policies enacted by the political class, supported by their experts in the media, have now become obvious, and it just further erodes the public trust in American institutions. How can seemingly intelligent people remain so stubbornly attached to a narrative that's so obviously flawed? And it's not just America. Around the world, it's the same thing everywhere. All COVID, all the time, with nonstop fear-mongering and calls for compliance with increasingly silly measures. If it's not science and logic that's informing the public health measures, then what is it? Well, fear is the weapons-grade persuader as Doonesbury creator Scott Adams says in his 2018 book, Win Bigly, Persuasion in a World Where Facts Don't Matter. Scott gives us a primer on manipulating people through suggestion. The purpose of the ruling class-induced fear is to increase dependence on government and eliminate the alternative self-reliance and locally grown solutions to endure and thrive. Social distancing keeps you from being with your family and neighbors. Face masks isolate you from engaging with a new face, making new connections to grow and strengthen your community. Not wearing a face mask quickly identifies you as a nonconformist to the authorities. 
Government is forced training these behaviors, and COVID is a preparatory step for the conditioning needed to enforce subservience. In a nearly unreported development in June of this year, Belarus's president, Alexander Lukashenko, considered the last tyrant in Europe, publicly rejected a $940 million line of credit from the International Monetary Fund. He rejected it because the IMF conditioned the loan on Belarus imposing a strict COVID lockdown policy and a curfew. Now, it's very odd that the IMF would offer loans to a nation while setting conditions that severely hurt that nation's ability to repay the loan. Apparently, a number of other nations received similar offers from the IMF or the World Bank. We only know about the COVID conditions because Belarus disclosed it publicly. Significantly, Lukashenko mentioned on several occasions that the IMF negotiators wanted Belarus to, quote, do like in Italy. Other nations and governments who accepted the money may have quietly agreed to this conditionality, which they never disclosed to the rest of the world. As of April of this year, 85 nations have requested financial assistance from the IMF. Deeply in debt and with severely damaged economies, most governments worldwide needed loans, making them prey to the dictates of money power. To secure the needed funds, they may have agreed to shutting down their economies, restricting their population's freedom of movement, creating police state-like contact tracing structures, and closing down the schools. It makes me wonder how often this happens and goes unreported. Now, even in the United States, the president of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve, Neil Kashkari, said in a recent New York Times interview, the federal government should issue four to six week shelter in place orders for, quote, everyone but the truly essential workers. Kashkari advocated that the lockdown should be as comprehensive and as strict as possible and done aggressively using all the testing and tracing capacity we've built. It's important to understand that the ruling class and their media have an interest in the lockdown status quo, even if it means spreading propaganda. The COVID crisis has been a godsend for those who see constitutional restrictions that limit their authority as just obstacles to be overcome. Governors such as Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, Andrew Cuomo of New York, Gavin Newsom of California, and Tom Wolf of Pennsylvania have received fawning media coverage for grabbing authoritarian powers in their states. Governor Whitmer unilaterally decided that the sale of garden seeds in stores was illegal, while Cuomo's decision to force the housing of COVID patients in nursing homes led to the deaths of thousands of people. In an effort to close the tax revenue gap resulting from the COVID economic shutdown, Governor Tom Wolf is petitioning the Pennsylvania legislature to legalize marijuana to generate tax revenue. Imagine that. Keep the people sedated so they ignore what's going on around them. I would encourage all of you to either reread Aldous Huxley's 1939 magnum opus, Brave New World, or watch the 2020 Prime video series remake of it. Pass the Soma, please. Also, keep in mind that the real losses that Americans suffer because of the heavy-handed governmental response to COVID are permanent. History is full of examples where governments create crises or manipulate events such as natural disasters and use them as opportunities to expand state power. Tax withholding, for example, from your paycheck began in World War II to fund the war. Withholding remains to this day. Even after a crisis ends, 
Governments keep much of their newly self-granted powers that limit civil liberties with little or no concern for the people who seem happy to trade freedom for the illusion of security and comfort. I think we already know how the second wave of lockdowns will end. At some point, with the economies of countries in shambles, authorities will gradually lift some of the restrictions while demanding that the people voluntarily engage in mask wearing and social distancing and other measures. Not long after the rules are relaxed, there will surely be a new surge of infections as people long separated come together without having built up their immune systems. In case you haven't heard, lack of sunshine, outdoor exercise, and social interaction is not the natural state of humans. With no other options, and because the governing class has declared lockdowns to be the only way to defeat the virus, there will almost surely be lockdown number three in countries where the politicians can get away with it. Whether the ruling class in the United States follows the same plan is an open question. We know beforehand that quarantining healthy people actually makes the long-term infection picture worse, and that the starting and stopping of of the economy wreaks havoc of its own. In the end, shutting down much of social and business interaction, restricting worship services, and closing schools is ineffective in stopping infections, whether from the COVID-19 or some other pathogen. And yet, mandating mass restrictions seems to be a winning political strategy. COVID-19 is not the last pandemic that will hit the world. And when a new pandemic emerges, the political class will run the same old playbook. Despite the myth that governing is about solving problems and serving the people, it's the rare politician who does not seek to expand the power of their party and themselves personally. We shouldn't be surprised by this. It's human nature, after all. Our ancient spiritual texts like the Bible, Torah, Quran, and Mahabharata warn us about human limitations. It's astounding how many of the seven deadly sins are in play with politics. I guess this is at the core of my discomfort with experts who, however well-intentioned, can never create the utopias they yearn for. Humans are invariably flawed and driven by self-interest. This drive to survive is at the center of Darwin's theory of evolution. This is why Karl Marx's musings on a communist utopia could never be realized by the Soviet Union or North Korea or Cuba and all the other countries who were seduced by its fantasy. China was smart enough to see the failed manifestations of Marx to, of course, correct it 25 years ago to institute a bastardized form of capitalism to temporarily save its people from the same communist oblivion. Even with this, China's Achilles heel is their one-party authoritarian rule that crushes individual liberty to the point where the only way they can hope to keep up with the United States is to steal the intellectual property developed by its people. It's not hyperbole to say that the November 3rd elections are the most important in our lifetime. I urge my listeners to separate the personalities and the rhetoric of the presidential and congressional candidates and look at their party platforms. Any candidate who runs under a particular party signs up for all the ideas in that platform if they hope to secure the party's support for their election. I believe that the very foundation of what America is, is on the ballot, and the typical remedy of well, we can throw the bums out if we don't like them, could fade away, depending on how we choose. Well, folks, that's my show for today. I would encourage you all, if you haven't already, to head to my website, jimfeeney.com, and sign up to receive my newsletter and podcast. All you need is your email, and it's free. 
All subscribers who also provide their mailing address will get a signed copy of my book, Locally Grown, The Art of Sustainable Government, and be eligible to appear in future podcasts as guests. And you'll be joining the movement to unite our country on rock-solid middle ground. And remember, united we stand, divided we fall, each one for the other, and all for all. (laughs) 